Welcome to Fortress on a Hill. I'm Henry. I'm Danny. I'm Kagan. We're three leftist veterans that aim to expose the reality of the U.S. military's multiple wars abroad and to illuminate the damage military service does to Americans. American presidents throughout U.S. history have used American military and diplomatic power to force regime change of democratically elected governments around the world. Most veterans come from families vested in prior service, and American generals choose their own, ensuring diversity of thought never interferes with American warmongering. How can we stand by and do nothing while our military kills and destroys lives the world over, while telling Americans that all this death and destruction protects them from terrorists when nothing could be more false? Fortress on a Hill aims to change that. Well, welcome everybody to Fortress on, on a Hill. Uh, we have uh, a really exciting guest for you guys today. Uh, Mike Benetta from Wolfpack is here to talk to us about all things Wolfpack and, and what, all the great work that it does uh, trying to get money out of politics. Mike, uh, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Happy happy to have you here. So I'm just going to give give a little intro here from the, uh, the Wolfpack website. Um, Mike Benetta grew up in the sleepy little town of Claremont, New Hampshire. He didn't pay much attention to politics while playing soccer, going to concerts, following the Patriots and Red Sox, or fishing on Lake Winnipesaukee. But once he began learning how much the corruption in Washington, D.C. affects all of our lives by listening to independent media sources, he knew he had to get involved. In 2014, he led the way to make Vermont the first state in American history to call for an Article 5 convention for the purpose of restoring free and fair elections. Since then, he's been directly involved with four other states passing similar legislation. He is now the national director of Wolfpack and spends most of his time working with volunteers throughout the country. So, Mike, will you give us, give us a quick, you know, kind of down and dirty on, on what Wolfpack does, what are, what are its main goals, and uh, what, what you do there? Sure. Well, that intro just reminded me of all the things I used to do before <laughs> political activism completely consumed my life. <laughs> Boy, that would be nice, but fishing, uh, sports, yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> Sounds Hob- great. Hobbies can be nice. Hobbies can be nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess I'll just give a background of how I, I came to Wolfpack, and I think it's going to be similar to a lot of the same ways that people listening came to, to politics or got interested, and that is um, you know, I just started, I had a very, like, a, like you just said, fairly normal life, you know, didn't care about politics too much, but then I just started paying attention a little bit, listening to independent media, essentially anything other than cable TV. <laughs> um, and I just started to realize like, wow, like if we don't fix this problem of corruption in DC, you know, the, the special interest takeover of our government, we're going to be in really serious trouble. So I had to get involved once I started, you know, realizing what the reality was. And I decided to join Wolfpack because the plan just instantly made sense to me. Uh, to give you the really short version of what we're doing, we, we believe that the only way to solve this problem of the corruption of big special interest takeover of our government is a constitutional amendment a U.S. constitutional amendment, because an amendment is the only thing that can go above Congress and go above the Supreme Court to be the new law of the land. And there's only two ways to get an amendment according to the way Article 5 of the Constitution is written. Two-thirds of Congress can propose an amendment, meaning that two-thirds of each chamber, the Senate and the House, 
would have to approve of an amendment and then it would go out to the states to be ratified. It wouldn't become part of the constitution until three quarters of the states approved it. That's 75%, extremely high threshold. The only other way to do it is you can get two thirds of the state governments to apply for a convention to be able to propose an amendment that way at the state level, essentially going around Congress. It's really important to remember though that either way the amendment is proposed through Congress or through the states, it still has the exact same safeguard of ratification afterwards. So all we're really talking about is who's going who's gonna to write and propose this amendment. So for us, we don't believe Congress is really capable right now of solving this problem. I mean, this, is the, this corrupt system is what got them in power. Even good people go to Congress with very good intentions, get trapped in the system where they end up having to raise you know, obscene amounts of money to be able to keep their power. So for us, it's a very easy decision out of those two. Right? The state legislators are far more responsive to the people. They'll still take meetings with us. They'll, they'll hear us out. I mean, you try it. I mean, I encourage anybody, if you haven't talked to your state legislators, definitely give it a try. It may take you a little bit of, of effort, but you will get a meeting. And they will hear you out. Uh, Congress, good luck. You know, if you, if you write to them about a particular issue, you're most likely just going to get back a form letter, right? So, and on top of it just being the more logical path, the majority of U.S. constitutional amendments have included the states calling for a convention on specific topics. And then when we get close, Congress capitulates to that pressure from the states and proposes the amendment out themselves. So even if you think that Congress is a better way to get an amendment, having the state governments start demanding the amendment through the uh, application process for a convention is, is still the most powerful way to do it. So that's what we're doing. The... Uh... In mentioning the, the the gridlock of Congress, the inability to for things to, to be changed or debates to be had, um, this is that the point in the year when the defense budget starts getting talked about in, in sometimes in great detail, but usually it's in very, very little detail. And whether or not they've decided whatever astronomical number, last year it was $750 billion, I believe it's supposed to be even more this year, um, but it's not really discussed about where all that money goes into and and frankly the the giant share of it that ends up getting eaten by the defense industry i think it's 58 or 59 cents of every discretionary tax dollar that america has goes to the defense budget um so i'm i'm, I'm curious about how how wolfpack is analyzing things like that in terms of you know the bigger parts of our, 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 economic, uh, our economic work that need, needs to change, but it's certainly still a part of what's happening. Yeah, for sure. Well, that, I mean, it's motivation, I would say more than anything. I mean, how that relates to Wolfpack and the people that come and volunteer for us, these are things that motivate us to take action, right? Because when you look at the root of the problem, this dysfunction, this, we have a Congress right now that's incapable of standing up for the American people. They just can't do it. And that's proven out through data, right? There's the, the Princeton study is the one that gets pointed to the most, which is they did data over the last four or five decades. And there was literally zero correlation to what the American people wanted for legislation and what Congress actually passed. Zero. Um, so that's not a representative government. We just don't have it, right? So when you're talking about the budget and, you know, the numbers that you threw out as far as, you know, military defense spending, uh, it comes down to our government, our government's priorities, right? Because when you, you spend 50% or more of all of our disc discretionary spending to defense, you're just, we're just not able to do some of the other things that we need done in this country. 
And we don't believe that we're going to be able to fix that and actually have a Congress that starts passing budgets that, you know, represents more of what the American people need until we fix the way that they get elected. We just don't think it's possible. So we think this is a first step to be able to get to some of those other changes. And I mean, yeah, when you're, t- when you're talking about the, the defense budget, there's one example from uh, just recently where there was a proposal to cut it by 10%. I'm sure you guys have talked about this, right? And Congress was incapable of even doing that, right? There was uh, 93 total people in the House of Representatives that voted for that decrease, 10, just 10%, not 20 or 30 or 40. And they couldn't do it. So that's why we also always try to remind people that this is a very bipartisan problem. It's a bipartisan solution, but it's a bipartisan problem. That 93 people supported the decrease, but that means over 100 Democrats said, no, we don't even want to decrease it by 10%. We don't have other priorities. So the reason that they did that is directly related to how much campaign cash they got from the defense industry. And actually, you can look that up yourselves too, anybody who's interested. Uh, there was uh, one study... Um, I forget who did the study, but it was th- uh, the people who voted against doing the decrease got three times, I think it was just in the Democratic Party, three times the amount of campaign contributions from the defense industry than those who um, said that we should have the decrease. So that's corruption, right? That, I mean, these, these are people who are, they're not having honest debates about what's right for the country. They're having debates about, hey, if I vote this way, is, you know, what, how much money am I leaving on the table for my next campaign, right? So that's, that's the corruption that we, that we have to address. They're beholden to these special interests. And it's, again, it's not that they're bad people. A lot of, lot of you know, good people go into Congress and they just get absolutely trapped in this system that's just, it's just become uh, dangerous, honestly, to, to American citizens and, and our future. A lot of people really easily fall into the stereotype of if we think of the military as good, their missions must be good too, and that's not at all at all the case. And so the, those those questions really need to be asked. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, it's about priorities, right? And what what are we doing with our our taxpayer dollars? Where is it going? Is it going to where it's going to benefit you know our country the most, the citizens the most, or is it going to you know, the largest employer on planet Earth, right, which is the Pentagon. You know, I think it's interesting what you said about these, like, recipients in Congress not all being bad people. Uh, I think that's important in the sense that, you know, folks tend to fall in one of three categories on this issue. And you tell me if I'm, you know, diagnosing this somewhat correctly. Uh, most Americans either don't know the degree of what Ike, President Eisenhower, Republican type, called the unwarranted influence, right, of the military-industrial complex, as he coined it. Uh, so there's the people that don't know, which is a lot, and then there's the people who don't care, uh, either because they are recipients or they're in kind of the establishment machine or they just support their party. So it's not a problem as long as their party's in charge, uh, or they, you know, kind of throw their hands up to a certain extent uh, and say, it's like a nihilism. It's, it's, look, we can't do anything about this. They're all monsters, right? All politicians are evil. And yet what you're saying is, 
and I think it's correct, a lot of these folks do go to Washington with some pretty good intentions, or at least plenty of them do. Uh, and yet, from my limited experience on the Hill, these congressmen, you know, they have to raise so much money, minimum threshold-wise, to even run a congressional campaign, even in a poor district. Uh, and then they spend, I mean, it sounds like the worst job in the world. They spend, you know, days of their week in like a smelly phone center, which isn't even all that nice, you know, dialing for dollars. And it sounds pretty soul crushing. So um, maybe you could dig in just a little bit more on, you know, what does the, what does this money in politics look like? to a freshman congressman what does he face he or she when she he she or she shows up and you know how does the money in politics particularly we'll just focus on the military industrial complex here for the sake of this how does it chip away at the idealism in practice right because i think people are they they appreciate humanized narratives yeah, for sure. Well, the first thing I would say is if you really want to get a firsthand look at what that looks like for a first-year congressman or an any-year congressperson, uh, check out the new documentary that was just released last week on HBO called The Swamp. And it really gives you a very good account, firsthand account. Um, follows, follows a couple of congresspeople around. Lawrence Lessig is in it, and he explains it really well. He's a big ally of ours at Wolfpack. He's you know, he, he will testify at committee hearings for us and stuff. He's very, very involved in the fight. He's a main part of that documentary. Um, and what, what's explained that is it's so corrupt, it's almost unimaginable. I'll say that first. Like, you know, we have committees, right? That's how our government functions because all of them can't discuss every issue. So when a piece of legislation is introduced, it goes to a committee. So if it has to do with finances, it'll go to, you know, Ways and Means Committee. If it has to do with environment, it'll go to a, an environmental committee, et cetera, right? And if you're the chair of one of these committees, you have a lot of power. You can decide what comes up for a vote. You can usually use your power to get the votes you need to pass or make legislation fail. And one of the things that's explained very well in there firsthand is that to get chairmanships of these committees now, you have to raise the, the most amount of money for your party. And it used to be that to be the chair of a committee, you got that position because you were the most informed. You knew the most about the issue. That has been completely reversed now, and it's all about who's the best fundraiser. So that right there, I think, tells you quite a bit about the way that Congress is, is currently functioning. And they keep, they keep a, a list you know, who the, the, the leaders of these parties, Speaker of the House, Senate President, they have a list of, of how much each person is bringing in for the party. And if you're not bringing in enough, you're going to get heat for it. They're going to constantly be badgering you and they're not going to give you assignments, you know, that actually give you any kind of power in Congress. So just that alone is just absolutely backwards. And there's no way government can function properly uh, if, it's, if that's how it's run. And that's what it's turned into. And you're right, they do have to go across the street because it's not legal to call from, the, uh, from the, the capital grounds. So they go into call centers and they spend up to 70% of their time calling people and asking them to fund their campaign. They're con it's, we've created a constant campaign cycle where instead of going to Washington, D.C. and like hearing from their constituents and passing legislation that people are emailing them about in their district, 
they are instead going across the street and talking to people who actually have the money to give them huge donations. And that's not me. You know, it's probably not you guys. It's not most of us. It's a really, really tiny percentage of the population. And that tiny percentage, uh, like I said earlier in that study, shows the correlation. That same study shows the correlation of people who actually did have enough money and the special interest to contribute to campaigns. And there was a correlation to what they wanted and what Congress passed for legislation. So, um, you know, this government was supposed to be dependent upon the people. And it's, it's turned around now where it's instead of being dependent on the people, Congress is now dependent on these special interests. So that's what we must focus on and solve. We've got to fix this first before we can think about solving any of the other issues that we really care about. And there are plenty of them. You know, uh, that swamp uh, documentary is, is, is pretty interesting and it, and it's a pretty good take. And uh, I don't know, I'm just like ready for some really artistic director to, do like a Mr. Smith goes to Washington, except it's 2020. And I think that the perfect, you know, story would be one of these, I think they should choose the director, right? Or the screenwriter should choose a democratic uh, congressperson from the democratic party. One of these veterans that they very carefully, right? Combat veterans that they very carefully recruited in 2016 and 2018, you know, to overcome that image of the Republicans being the tough party, the military party. Uh, but I think it should, it, you know, it, it, it would be a fictional depiction or even documentary of one of those guys in particular, you know, uh, coming in with all these high-minded beliefs and then finding out what you're describing, which is that 70% of my time is in these musty call centers. And then, you know, the output, you know, sort of the animal, the animal farm moment, you know, where the pig starts, you know, walking on two legs like the humans would be this like Democratic congressperson who served in these absurd wars voting, you know, against pulling out of Afghanistan and against cutting the defense budget by even 10%, right? And that's kind of the moment, you know, and I don't know if people would care. I don't know if that kind of, you know, sort of cinematic depiction would matter. But it's what you're describing is that, right? It's, it's like this flip of the Mr. Smith goes to Washington, except it's, it's far worse today, no? Yeah. No, I love that idea, actually. You should have had me sign an NDA before coming on here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, no worries. I'll forget no. within an hour. There's too many ideas. There's just too many ideas. Yeah. Uh, no, that's powerful. I think that, I, and personally, I think people would really appreciate that perspective. I really do. I think that's a really good idea. Someone should make it. Um, I, you know, one thing I've been doing recently is researching just some videos that are out there with regards to this issue. And I was really encouraged to find out that some of the best performing ones are just purely informative. I, I, it tells me that people are really starving for information around this. I don't think people really quite grasp it. And I think further, they don't really know what to do about it, you know? Absolutely. You know, so, okay. Uh, you know, I know you don't probably have a whole ton of statistics in front of you, but in broad strokes, you know, if we take, for example, the defense industry, which is just one of the areas that you look at and say, you know, what are the, the big wigs like Raytheon, Lockheed, Honeywell? I mean, what does it look like in practice from their end? Like what, what, what are they throwing at these Congress people? Uh, is it just money and, uh, you know, how does it work in practice, right? What is the life cycle of a, 
a Lockheed lobbyist. Yeah, I bet if I think on average for some of the top ones, it's probably around three million a year from what I've seen, and it all adds up to really huge amounts of money. But it's actually more than that if you really want to get into it. I mean, the, the campaign funds are sort of the backbone of the whole problem. But you know, when a company is able to hire lobbyists, for example, to be there full time, then you're talking about a different level too, which is uh, creating relationships. And that's, that's another thing that, you know, will likely have to be addressed at some point here too. We're not trying to solve all problems at Wolfpack. We're going for the root of the problem, which is the campaign finance system. But the amount of influence that these lobbyists have is out of control too. And I can't afford to send a lobbyist to Washington, D.C. to be there full time. And when, a com- when these companies are able to do that, what they're really doing is, is building relationships. They're getting to know them. They're getting to know their kids. They go out to dinner with them. And then, of course, added to that is the fact that they know that if they don't vote the right way on a piece of legislation, that that lobbyist could turn around and tell their company, hey, you know, look, look how they voted here this way. This is, not, this, is not, uh, this is not our guy anymore. This is not our woman anymore, right? And, and, uh, and then the campaign funds dry up. So, I mean, it's just at the end of the day, it's power and influence is really what we're fighting here, right? It's a system that where the people's power in government has been lessened to basically zero. So, uh, you know, you said earlier that there's the three levels of, of citizens, right? The people who don't know, and then there's the people who don't care. And then there's the group of people who do, they do care, they do understand what's happening, they do care but they just throw their hands up, right? And they just say, well, it's, it's, it's already too far gone, right? And what, what's, the, what's the point? And there's a stat that Larry Lessig quite mentioned earlier that he quotes a lot from this poll where 92% of the people, these are American citizens, 92% of the people polled said that they think the corruption in DC of big money in politics is a serious problem but 90%, think about that number, 90% of those same people thought that it would not be solved or that there was no solution at all. So we are fighting you know, a little bit of a, an information battle, just making sure people understand that there is an, a solution, which we believe we have a very strong solution here at Wolfpack, and an apathy war as well. But I am, I mean, just to give you a little bit of hope here, I don't think we need everybody to win this battle. You know, there's that Margaret Mead quote that we use a lot at Wolfpack, which is, you know, a small percentage of people can change the world. In fact, it is the only thing that ever has. So it's never 50, 60, 70% of people that get active and change things. No way. It's a small percentage of uh, a society that gets active because we have so much power, Right. And especially with the internet, the way that we're able to connect and spread information the way we are right now with this podcast, the fact that people can go to websites like ours, you know, at Wolfpack that organize volunteers, donors, members, you know, people who chip in just a little bit to keep us going. We have an insane amount of power right now to be able to organize. By the way, they're coming for the internet too. Right. Um, but right now, we still have it, right? So if you think about 300 million people plus in the United States, and 99 out of 10 of us want this problem solved, 
man, they don't have a chance. I mean, we, we don't even have a fraction of 1% right now, you know, active and fighting for this. If we had 1%, it would be over. 2%, 5%, 10%, oh my God. Like we'd get it done in, in a year if we had that kind of support. So I think it's just a matter of time. I, don't, I do not think it's a matter of what. I, I, I mean, I, I don't, do not think it's a matter of if. I think it's only a matter of time. And an amendment is just, this is how we solve big problems. Americans throughout our history, we've amended our constitution 27 times. 28th one is going to be one that you know, ends the, the corruption of big money and special interests in our politics and restores a, a free and fair election system that we can actually be proud of. That's what the 28th amendment has to do. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's actually excellent to hear a degree of optimism and hope. And, and I think it's important people understand that we have done this before. And I think what you're identifying is that there really isn't salvation is not coming from, you know, your individual congressman per se, you know, it's not going to necessarily come from the people who can, you know, be part of the problem. It's not going to come from some, you know, nibbling at the edges legislation. I mean, you guys are saying congressional amendment, right? The same way we ended slavery and, you know, came up with birthright citizenship. I mean, if we can uh, make alcohol illegal and then make it not illegal 12 years later, right, we can do this, right? This is more important. I mean, I, I think what you're saying about amendments is really important because that seems to be the crux here. Yeah, exactly right. Giving the women the right to vote. I mean, we've solved really big big national issues by amending our constitution. That's what it's there for. And when at the end of the convention, when they were drafting the constitution, I don't know if you know this history, but at the time, Congress was going to be the only body of government capable of proposing amendments to it. And General Mason stood up and he said, hold on here, there's a flaw. What if Congress becomes the problem? What if they become corrupt and they're incapable of fixing themselves? We have to give people a second way to be able to change this document or we're going to be stuck. And they all agree. And they put in the state-based route for the convent, for the states to be able to apply for a convention when two-thirds of them apply for a convention on a topic, certain topic, then the states can come together and propose an amendment. Again, the ratification would be exactly the same. It would have to go out and be go out of a convention and be approved by 38 states, which is 75% of our states afterwards. So it's an absolute no-brainer in this case. And there's precedence, right? So for doing what Wolfpack is doing, this goes all the way back to the Bill of Rights. It's just some interesting history for you. Congress initially was not going to propose those 10 amendments. And New York and Virginia called for a convention to be able to propose them themselves, right, at the state level. Now, that might not seem like a lot of states, but back then, that was actually 20% of the states need to call a convention. Right now, we're only at 15 so that was the first time that it was used, and then it's continued to be used throughout our history. The best example is the 17th Amendment. Uh, very parallel situation to what we have today because the way that U.S. senators used to get to, into office was appointments by the state legislatures. And that was very overt corruption. There were bags of cash left at the state houses, right? So the people hated it of this country. They, they, so they did uh, petitions. They did protests, they did uh, local legislation, state level legislation, they did resolutions asking Congress to propose an amendment for the direct election of senators. 
ballot referendums. I mean, they did everything, right? All of that is also happening right now around this issue, thankfully. There's groups like Represent Us working on state-level legislation. Um, you know, lot, lots of good uh, activism right now happening around this issue. But just like back then, it wasn't until they came in one by one and started applying for a convention for that one purpose, in this case for the direct election of senators, they got all the way to just one state shy of the two-thirds needed to force a convention, and Congress capitulated and proposed the amendment out to the states themselves. So the best example of what may happen here as we get to 15, 20, 25 states demanding a convention to fix our uh, broken campaign finance system, Congress will very likely do it themselves. Uh, we believe that a convention could write a better amendment than Congress could, and we'd love to see it happen. It was meant to be used. It's a democratic process. It's got the same safeguard <coughs> of ratification. But the thing is, the flaw, if there is one, in, in the Constitution or, you know, or Article 5 of the Constitution is that Congress is going to have to ultimately call the convention, right? So are they ever going to get up, give up that monopoly they've had on proposing amendments you know, for over 200 years? I don't know. You know we might have to force them to with a, with a lawsuit if we can get up to 34 states for our issue, right? But, um, but, but our stance is we're going to get this amendment, whether Congress proposes it or the states come together to write it and propose it. We really don't care at the end of the day. We just want the problem solved. The guys and I love doing the podcast. Being able to share our experiences in the military with allies and supporters means the world to us. But we can't do all the work. We need you to share an episode of ours with someone, anyone, whom you like, might think might be affected by it. Young people looking to join the military or parents advocating for one, conscientious citizens who care about the violence the U.S. wages in their name, advocates for women and people of color who understand the harsh environment the military creates for females and minorities and inflicts on minorities around the globe, and anyone else you think it might affect, please take a moment, pause the episode, share this with them. Now, our podcast is supported in a few different ways. First, there's Patreon, where we're blessed to have an array of wonderful supporters helping the guys and I pay for some of the podcast's expenses. Those who contribute $10 a month or more will be mentioned right here as an honorary producer, helping keep you, our listeners, stocked with new episodes. But you don't have to contribute $10 a month to, uh, to help us. For as little as a dollar a month, you can keep us going, paying for hosting and storage fees, transcribing old and new episodes, promoting and expanding the podcast, and more I'm sure I can't think of at the moment. So, let's bring out these honorary producers. And they are Will Arenz, Fahim Shirazi, James Obar, Adam Bellows, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, Thomas Benson, Emma P., Janet Hansen, Lawrence Taylor, Tristan Oliver, Marwan Marwan, and the Status Quo Podcast. Your contributions are wonderfully helpful to us. Thank you so much. However, if Patreon isn't your style, 
You can always contribute directly to us through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Hill. Or please check out our store on Spreadshirt.com. Make sure you check for promo codes before you order. And now, let's get back to the podcast. And if you guys are interested, I'll give you one more example of the convention process being used to pressure Congress. Please, of course. Um, I always feel like I'm talking too much. Uh, never, never, there's, never. There's just so much information, you know? Um, so, okay. So another example is the eight, 1980s. The people of this country, mostly progressive, or sorry, conservative-minded people, saw the budget. Uh, as out of control. So the state started calling for a convention for a balanced budget amendment one by one. And they got all the way up to just two states shy of the states needed to force a convention on that topic. And what happened, and now this is not me saying it or Wolfpack saying it, this is actually the Congressional Research Service did uh, four different reports on the convention process. Highly encourage anybody to check those reports out if you really want to dive into this. The Department of Justice has also done reports, uh, American Bar Association. It's really, it's really interesting stuff. And you can find those on our website, wolf, wolf-pack.com, wolf-pac.com, and just go to the About tab under Resources. And we have all of these reports linked. They're very in-depth, very thorough. But the Congressional Research Service pointed out in one of them that the fact that the states were calling for a balanced budget amendment convention is one of the things that spurred Congress to pass fiscal responsibility legislation, which ultimately led to the balanced budget in the 90s. So that's another example of the states using this convention process as a way to pressure Congress into action. In fact, they call it the prodding effect in the Congressional Research Service reports. And they mentioned one person at uh, one of the committees about uh, the convention process Uh, called it akin to batting a mule with a board, (laughs) which is very visual, which I love. (laughs) Or essentially uh, batting a stubborn mule, which is Congress, uh, with a board by using this process. So, yeah, it's just logical, you know. And we have have our own battles, though. I mean, we're we're battling misinformation about the convention process. There are some, if you look, if you Google it, you're going to see a lot of uh, fear about how, oh, my God, we can't, call for a convention on any issue because if we have one, we're just going to be able to rewrite the constitution. It's all nonsense. Uh, and all you really have to do is go read article five yourself. It's just a paragraph and it's crystal clear that a convention only has the power to propose. You can't change the constitution at a convention. That's conspiracy theory um, pushed by, you know, very, very tiny percentage of people in this country. But unfortunately, you know, misinformation is, is out there these days. And so that's one downside of the internet, I think, as we all know. So I'd like to I'd like to switch gears here a little bit and talk about um, poverty among active duty troops and veterans. Um, just a, a, a quick statistic: one one out of every ten veterans, I think it was in 2016, are on Medicaid, and a great majority of them, their injuries are not great enough to receive VA services. Like I'm 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 100% rated, so I get to go there, but not every, everybody gets to. And uh, thinking about that and with, with Wolfpack, you know, it had me thinking about the, 
the little amount of economic power going into the military can sometimes give. You know, we, we they make it seem big and flashy at, at the start, um, but after that happens, you're you're left with possibly getting food stamps for your family because your your paycheck isn't high enough, whether that's active duty or as a, as a veteran, you're receiving disability. So I'm, I'm wondering about how Wolfpack as an organization, how they view veterans more generally in an economic sense in terms of their power to be members of the society. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that's motivation for me too. I mean, it's heartbreaking, honestly, to look at some of those statistics. I mean, we have some, some veterans are some of our, you know, most dedicated supporters and Oh my God. I mean, I, have you, I would imagine you have, but you've seen the documentary. Thank you for your service. Have you seen yeah. that one by Tom Donahue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, I mean, it's awful. What, how we treat our veterans. I can't, I can't even stomach it. And it's unacceptable. I mean, that's, we don't really take a whole lot of stances on things, you know, just me personally, it's completely unacceptable. And I don't think you'd find very many people in our organization who would, who would disagree with me on that. Um, I mean, these, and I should have said at the beginning, but, you know, thank, thank you guys for your service and anyone listening. I mean, what you're, you've been asked to do is so much greater than what we ask people at Wolfpack to do. I, I used to, you know, I've said this before, but we are only asking people to pick up the phone and call legislators, right? Like, that's the sacrifice that we're asking people to make. And when you compare that to what people gave at the beginning of this country, for one, picking up bayonets and, you know, and, and throughout our history, you know, picking up machine guns or whatever it might be to go and defend this country and fight for the future, my God, I mean, we couldn't possibly thank uh, veterans enough in that sense, just couldn't. And the fact that, I mean, you should, all veterans should be getting treated like gold. At every, I mean, how can we have money for wall street and you know to bail out these people who basically took down our economy and we can't uh you know we can't treat our veterans well it's it's uh it's really disheartening yeah there's a uh a 2.2 but a billion dollar budget cut that they're wanting to make to the military healthcare system um supposedly to put the money towards things that meet that go towards quote unquote lethality or those kind of euphemisms, those kind of army, military, death type euphemisms. Um, you know, we we don't. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to speak for Danny here for just a second, but I know he he agrees with me that we don't. We try to look at every veteran individually. You know that the the service part of it is a very big question mark. These days, if I happen to thank a fellow veteran or a service member, I usually will say, thank you for your sacrifice. Because mm -hmm. some, you know, like for me, I've, I've gone over my service and I, I don't know how much I actually served, you know, I'm in, in, a, in an empirical sense, in a help mm -hmm. my country kind of idea. Um, but it, it becomes, uh, it just becomes an easy an easy thing for 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 people to say and and veterans do sacrifice a great deal you know between medical issues dealing with ptsd there are lots of different ways but i hope that i hope that more veterans move to a place where they do look at their individual service and say how is this helping how is this adding to 
you know, the, the, the needs of the country. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that makes sense. You know, there's other, uh, just to throw out another documentary, you know, Vice, imagine you've seen that one too, just explains a little bit of the backstory, uh, you know, about uh, the Iraq war and stuff. And, and that's pretty maddening, right? I mean, I would be pretty furious if I learned the, the real truth behind, you know, these wars that, have, that, that seem to just never end. Uh, it's so disrespectful to the people that are, have signed up to defend this country. And what can they do, right? I mean, right. what can you do? Yeah, no, no, system, right? I mean, powerless is, is an appropriate word here. What's that? Powerless is an appropriate word here. Yeah, right. Exactly. So do you, you know, see, do yeah. you, do you think that uh, to what extent you said that a lot of the supporters of Wolfpack, like some of your most ardent supporters are in fact veterans. And uh, while I think Henry and I both sort of reject like the fetishization of all things military and, and even of veterans, I think we've gone, like we've swung that pendulum so far. So we've gone sort of beyond the thanking to like almost an adulation of the militarist. But so in that sense, we're like skeptical of veterans, like being more right just because they're veterans or, or should be listened to more. However, we also live in the world as it is right. Where if you can have an effect because of your platform, you should. So I guess my question is, you know, can you dig in a little more on uh, your experience with like veteran supporters of the organization and, and what role you think the veteran, especially post 9-11 combat veteran community could play uh, potentially in pushing the message and, you know, sort of exposing profoundly the, the obscenity of the problem. Yeah, I mean, we don't have, I can't speak for what motivates them, uh, you know, as far as why they signed up. I think at the root, it's really just, uh, you know, an, an injustice of what, what's happened to, to our government. And everyone just wants us to go in a different direction, you know, or wants to change course. As far as having people who speak to the corruption issue and how it affects veterans, we don't, we don't really have someone who has been able to go out and do that, you know, be, be a spokesperson, uh, do media, write articles. Uh, I would love to have someone, if, you know, if anyone's interested in doing that, I would say reach out to me directly and I could connect you with our communications team. Uh, I would love to have that perspective. You know, um, I think it's really, really important. You know, and we, one thing we always try to do is, uh, connect this issue, the, the corruption issue, to as many issues as we can, right? Because it does, at the, at the root, it does connect to all of them in one way or another. So I would love to see more veterans get involved in sort of an active uh, role, you know? And if, if someone wanted to do videos, you know, or something, or, or, you know, talk to people in their community, yeah, we're always open to you know, having people do that. Well, you may have come to the right place, Mike, uh, because, uh, uh, yeah, we, I mean, obviously we, we, uh, we write and more importantly, I think we're, we're connected to at this point after three or so years of doing this, we're connected to a pretty broad, uh, spectrum of veterans who give a shit, frankly, about a lot of these things, whether they're libertarian Republicans or lefties like us, um, kind of a broad range. And so I think that there is like a potential for an ongoing relationship here because I think we need to contribute and uh you know not everyone has to be a direct action you know super street resistance type like some of us but 
you know, after we were tossed out of the Trump rally in Tulsa, you know, I was with a group of anti-war vets, you know, I mean, uh, an army sniper from the 1st Infantry Division in Iraq, you know, who now leads Veterans for Peace, literally, like, as we were coming down from our, you know, kind of uh, adrenaline uh, high, said to me that, you know, he had done X number, hundreds of patrols in his time in Iraq or whatever. And, and yet he felt like this little seemingly minimal thing we had done uh, at the rally was the most important mission he'd ever done. And the reason I mention that is I think that there are a surprisingly large number of veterans out there just across partisan lines who think that money in politics is obscene and who are looking to continue serving because one of the things that i think that we can both agree on is and so many do when you leave uniform you lose like a part of your identity and largely that identity is the whole you know army value of selfless service and so there's a symbiotic possibility here and i think uh yeah offline we should really dig into it because because there's a, an opportunity, if it's not us, to kind of link in Wolfpack, because I think there are a lot of veterans who agree with the core message and in a nonpartisan way, which I think will support, which is, I think, in line with you. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Let's definitely continue the conversation. And I'll throw this out there. I can't make any promises, but if you, are, if you guys are interested, I could probably make it work. We, we can talk more about this, you know, in a little bit, you know, towards the end of the show, but we have an event coming up at the end of September that's like a three-day workshop, and we teach people how to be active citizens. We have many events, and some are educational, but some are fun. Like we're doing a virtual 5K run, uh, run for representation. That's going to be, I think, a lot of fun, but different panels. And it would be amazing if you guys might want to join us and maybe even do like a live show from there or maybe interview somebody who you've had on your show in the past who you think is a really good guest who can break this you know, make this connection to, uh, uh, to corruption, you know, or, or even just yourselves. If, if you're interested, let me know. We can talk more about that too. I think that'd be a really cool thing. I mean, yeah. Tentative, very yes. And we'll go okay. from here. Yeah. But there's, cool. there's definitely some great people to link in and we're all about that. And um, it'll be great when things especially kind of open up and, you know, getting involved uh, on the ground again. So, so here's what I want to ask. Um, so we're, we, we know the problem, basically. Um, we see the state conventions as the route, obviously, because, you know, we have a situation where even the kind of anti-war Congress people who are vocal and doing good work, like Ro Khanna, I mean, I believe that his wife recently was, you know, outed as owning like $376,000 worth of defense contractor stocks, right? And he's one of the good guys, right, in terms of the this, like, anti-war issue. So, I think that identifies, okay, here's a problem. The people who would presumably solve it are complicit. So maybe you got to work around them. So we got this convention. So education obviously is a big part of it, right? Just you've mentioned getting people to realize that there's that route. Um, and so now, because I think it's so important for the listeners to highlight what you are doing, you know, um, what is, what does it look like? What does your day-to-day work look like in the organization to, you know, I hate to say lobby, but to kind of press for, these state conventions and what what does that look like from an organizational action perspective yeah sure well essentially you know if if you volunteer with wolfpack you're going to realize that one of our main focuses is just getting you to take the first step so our the thing that we try to do the most is get people comfortable engaging in local politics because people don't a lot of people don't realize that 
you can just go and meet with your state legislators. And like I said at the beginning, right? Or you can go and testify at a committee hearing, you know, because there's this experience with Congress, right? And them being out of touch or never in the district. So that is really at the root of what we do at Wolfpack is we teach people how to engage on, with politics on the local level. So it's essentially building teams in every state, in every district. And if we can get at least one person to form a relationship, you know, a real relationship, you know, not one that's just, hey, you know, see you once a year or send an email or a call and say, hey, I want you to do this for me, but actually taking the time to get to know that person and go to the state house whenever possible, if possible, but, but continuing and to, to build that relationship. So it, it becomes not only about our legislation with, for a lot of people, it actually becomes about building that power at the local level. Because if you think about it, if we had relationships with every state legislator in the country right now, in every district, you know how much power that is? I mean, that's, that right there, we could get this done. Because when, we, when you have real relationships, when people trust you, and that's at the end of the day, that is a big part of it, getting legislators to trust us, to feel comfortable with our plan, you know, because we're fairly new on the scene. A lot of the organizations that work in state houses are, you know, been around for decades, right? And they have high paid lobbyists and all that. I mean, that stuff exists at the state level too. It's not nearly as bad, but it, it's there. And one of the things that we do differently is that we put a lot of emphasis on our volunteers. So we stand out in a lot of places and a lot of state houses because we have so many volunteers turn out. We had a committee hearing in Washington last session that 250 people showed up for. Normally, you know, I think even actually for that same legislation a year before, I think maybe only like 15 or 20 did, right? Something like that. So when we engage people and, and try to make our case, right, to the people in the community and to our organization, and they show up, it makes a difference. We actually had a vote, a swing vote that was going to vote against our legislation that day and said it actually at the hearing said that he changed his mind and he's going to bow to the will of the people because so many people showed up. That happens on the state level still. That's not going to happen in Congress, but it happens at the state level. So that's really it, you know, getting people to, to engage. And we were in Illinois. Illinois was our third state to pass the, the legislation, the Wolfpack legislation asking for a convention on campaign finance reform. And our, one of our volunteers was in one of the offices uh, of a state legislator there and while they were in there having the meeting, another one of our volunteers called the office to ask them to support our legislation. And they said, wow, you guys have a mountain army here. And that's it, right? That's how you win. You build a mountain army of citizens across the country with the right plan. Now, you could have a mountain army around the wrong plan. It's not really going to matter at the end of the day. But with us, we actually have a plan that can work. And there's historical precedents that doing what we're doing does actually work to get amendments. Or constitution, or if, it's, if not an amendment, then congressional change, right? But in this case, we really do need an amendment because we need to go above Supreme Court and Congress. But yes, I mean, that's what you can expect. Uh, get engaged, learn how to testify at committee hearings. You know, you'll learn, how about, you'll learn about how to speak, you know, about our legislation, the details of it. But I really think the most important thing you learn is just is just how to uh, how to be an active citizen. And we've had volunteers run for office, you know, even after, um, you know, after we passed our legislation in that state, they've moved on to do something else, you know. So <clears throat> that's that's what I would say. What uh, what relationship do you guys have with um, Justice Democrats? Um, 
we, we don't really have any formal relationship with them. The founder of the Justice Democrats is the, uh, well, one of the founders, uh, Jenk, the host of TYT, who you might know. Mm-hmm. Uh, same founder. I mean, that, that would be the only connection. We don't really coordinate with them. I love what they're doing. We think, you know, I think it's really important to be working at this from all angles, right? Oh, getting, yeah. getting people in Congress that, that aren't beholden to the special interests. So, uh, like I said earlier, to win the change that we need right now systemically, no one thing is going to do it. We need to be chipping away from all different angles, right? So if we just got an amendment and we, there wasn't a group like Represent Us passing really you know, significant uh, legislation at the state level, it might not, it's not going to be enough. And vice versa. If Represent Us was alone just passing state-level legislation, it's not going to be able to be protected for the long run without a U.S. constitutional amendment. So, you know, having people in Congress, it's a really good thing. You know, if we, if we end up getting enough states to demand a convention, it's going to be a very beneficial thing for us to have enough people in Congress, you know, that actually support it, right? That they're, they're going to say, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll propose this amendment out to the states. And the more people who are not beholden to special interests that are in Congress, the better that amendment is going to be. So I think it's, it's really great work that they're doing. I wish there was an equivalent on, on the right. Do you guys know of one? I mean, they're, they're obviously progressive, but I mean, if there was a conservative group that essentially said the same thing, hey, we're not going to take PAC money, we're not going to be beholden to special interests, I feel like there's some space for that. You know, I think people would support those candidates. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I want to say they have something. Um, but I, yeah, I can't, I can't think of what it, what it was at the off the top of my head. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's not quite exactly the same. But if we tack back just quickly, although it's not the only place to go, but you know, if we tack quickly back to veterans, I mean, there is the group which is kind of libertarian inflected, bring our troops home.us, which is like not even all that anti-Trump for, to be frank, um, that is, you know, would, would I guarantee support this idea and do some, some do so from the mountain West kind of, you know, uh, paleo, right. You know? And so, um, I bet you there are other organizations that are more specific to that, but, there is this like burgeoning alliance and, and I'm sure you guys are already looking into it between the libertarian wing of the Republican party. And then of course the progressive left and um, everyone always talks about the foreign policy, the co- you know, coalition that exists there or budding coalition. But I think it's also there on money to a certain extent, because these are folks who use phrases like, deep state elites establishment in pejorative ways, um, which is, you know, good and bad and can have its problematic aspects. But overall, what it shows or what I think it demonstrates is a genuine sort of fear of those big moneyed interests. And so there that that exists, I think, on the right. And, uh, you know, we owe you a better answer on that. But I, I know there are places that that you could work with because that's important, right? Because mm-hmm. When it looks like it's a bunch of hippies or something, then a lot of folks get turned off to something they might otherwise support, which is what I think you're kind of raising. Yeah, that's encouraging uh, to hear. I think that that would be phenomenal. If any, I mean, again, anyone can reach out to me directly if you're listening to this and you want to get involved. It's just Mike at Wolfpack for me, Mike at wolf-pac.com. And uh, I would, would love to, to collaborate. And you're right. 
you know, it is a challenge a little bit right now because it is seen as more of a left issue, even though, again, nine out of 10 Americans, right, want it fixed. So I'm not sure why it's looked at quite that strongly as a, as a left thing, but I can tell you that we have seen uh, quite a bit of success in state legislatures getting bipartisan support. We've passed, although the five states that we've passed so far have all been democratically controlled, we have passed multiple uh, chambers that were controlled by Republicans. We passed the Missouri Senate twice with the majority of Republicans supporting us, leading the way, in fact. And one of them even stood up and said, you know, I don't know what amendment would ultimately come from a convention if we have one, but we've got to do something about the, con uh, the campaign industrial complex is what he called it. <laughs> so, uh, which I thought was a great line. That's great. We, yeah, it, yeah, it is. And, and we've had m many Republican sponsors, right? Champions of our legislation. We passed two committees in the Tennessee House this year with, a, with one of the most respected Republican sponsors. So, we, you know, yeah, we've, we've made some real progress. We've passed the New Hampshire House when it was controlled by Republicans. We've passed the New Hampshire Senate when it was co controlled by Republicans. We just haven't, we didn't just pass, <laughs> we haven't been able to pass them in the same year. Which, uh, which apparently you have to do. <laughs> I'm working on that. Uh, so yeah, we, we need to build that coalition. That is what we have to do to save the future of the United States at this point in time. We must, we must build that coalition. Well, Mike, I, uh, I think that's a good place for us to uh, wrap it up for today. Um, before you go, will you um, let the listeners know any upcoming uh, events or projects you're going to be working on, like what you had mentioned uh, towards the end of September? Yeah, for sure. So at the end of September, it's starting September 25th, running through September 27th. It's a three-day event. <clears throat> We're going to be having what's called the Wolfpack Warrior Workshop. It's usually in person. We, we love to get together and just train and, and have fun. But this year, obviously, because of the pandemic, we're going to be having it online. And I think it's going to be awesome. So Friday, it's going to start at 7 p.m. It's going to go through Sunday, 7 p.m. Lots of panels, speakers. Uh, like I said, maybe you guys can be a part of that if you want. I think it would be a huge benefit to our audience to hear your perspective. Uh, but there's going to be uh, some fun events, a virtual 5K run, which is essentially going to be just to raise awareness you know, and funds for our fight. And you can, you can find out about this by just by going to our website. It's wolf-pac.com and get on our email list. You don't even have to sign up to be a volunteer. You can just uh, put your name and email in the sign-up box and, and we'll keep you updated. We're gonna be sending lots of updates about the workshop as we go forward over the next month. And uh, if you wanted to help out to become a member, we always you know, appreciate that. We are very grassroots funded. 99% you know, of our funding is people just chipping in like 10 bucks a month. So if you can do that, that's great. Uh, you know, uh, any, any amount of support, whether you have time, or you want to contribute, we, we always um, really appreciate it here at Wolfpack. We're a citizen-funded movement. But uh, yeah, the workshop, you know, there's going to be, I'll tell you one more thing about it that's kind of fun. So on Saturday night, uh, we are going to be attempting to break a world record, a Guinness Book of World Records, <laughs> uh, for the largest live stream for a uh, virtual karaoke. <laughs> so we're working with Guinness. Oh, yeah, so it should be fun. That's going to be, we're going to attempt to do that at exactly 7 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, September 26th. And all you have to do is watch the karaoke to be part of this, to be counted as part of the world record. And we're going to be singing this song. Well, we're going to highlight probably like 20 people, 15 to 20 people singing. And then everyone else will be 
uh, watching. Otherwise, it would be a disaster. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to be singing the, the song Never Surrender, which is the 80s song by Corey Hart, uh, right. if you remember that one. And oh, it's you going... know I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's actually already given us his blessing to use the song. Uh, so, yeah, I, I reached out to him and he came back to us and said, yeah, go for it, which is cool. So we're going to have uh, a panel right before the, the record attempt at 6 p.m. That's going to be called United Against Corruption. And that's going to be getting to know some of the other leaders in the movement. So, like I said, Represent Us, American Promise is another one. Uh, yeah, uh, the Stamp Stampede, the Take Back Our Republic uh, group. I don't know if you know them, but John Pudner started that, uh, who ran the Dave Brack campaign. If you, if you remember that one, that was a big deal uh, a little while, uh, a while ago that replaced Eric Cantor. Uh, so he's a big ally. So yes, it's going to be, it's going to be a really interesting workshop. And uh, if you want to be part of a world record, you can show up for that. But, uh, more than that, just come and learn more about our plan and meet some of the amazing volunteers that we have at Wolfpack because we're going to be highlighting some of, some of them as well. So it should be fun. Sounds great, Mike. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much for coming on and we're, yeah, let's, you. we will definitely stay in touch and follow up right after this. Cause I think we would like to be involved in, uh, in in this and and sort of upcoming collaboration and events because uh this is huge this is huge um you know i had said before we started the show that you know of all the issues out there one of the ones that just doesn't get talked about enough because it's not typically you know sexy or easily um you know highlighted in that sort of exciting way is this idea of money and politics because there really isn't another issue war health care you name it climate change where it doesn't play in and so you've chosen to go to the crux of the issue and you know your organization has and uh, we applaud you for that because we're we really are all allies and uh, let's stay in touch and thanks so much for coming on thanks mike all right yeah well said thanks guys i really appreciate it okay Take care. talk soon we're on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill and also at Facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our main blog page and our full collection of episodes at www.fortressonahill.com. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Patreon, Spotify. You name it, almost anywhere you listen, we're already waiting for you. And hey, we're always in the market for more Patreon supporters. Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. And if you're not into giving us a monthly payment, think about giving us a couple bucks on PayPal. The link is in the show notes. Skepticism is one's best armor. Never forget it. We'll see you next time. And listen to my song. I hope you'll pay attention. I will not be